I scream, you scream, we all scream for quality science fiction and fantasy content. For an extra scoop of sword and lasery goodness, go to patreon.com slash sword and laser. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's oh so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and of course, awesome discussions from fans just like you. We are a musical now, so we'll be singing. <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes. I think uh, we'll sometimes. read you quick burns and sometimes slow burns. Do you know there's a slow burns thread in Goodreads? No. Yeah, it was started last month. It's for people who want to just have discussions about the news. It's brilliant. Oh, that's right. Yeah, like the more long form mm-hmm. discussions. Yeah. yeah, that's good. I like that. I did see that. I I don't think I remembered that it was called slow burns, but that's pretty. That's a great idea. Slow burns. Once again, our listeners just are shock and amaze me with their are better than us at organizing their conversations. Um, But yeah, we're not drinking tonight, so I think it's fair to say we can jump right into the quick burns. We have a winner, folks. Uh, Our uh, March tournament is madly over, and A Master of Gin by P. Jelly Clark, outvoted Children of Time by Adrian Tchaikovsky, 59.3% to 40.7%. Also, congrats to Joyce, uh, of the uh, prediction bracket, Joyce usually picks badly. Well, yeah, didn't this time. Uh, Joyce <laughs> won the bracket time. predictions with a score of 22. I think that might be perfect. Uh, just edging out someone who did not title their brackets by one point. In fact, some people were asking me, like, can you see the email addresses? Because I don't know which bracket is mine because I didn't title it. Uh, so I guess you have to title oh. your bracket and challenge. Um, but I cannot see the email addresses either because they keep that from me. Uh, and also, once again, big thanks to Roberator for keeping everyone up to date on the progress throughout the tourney, uh, for gathering all the nominations and all of that. Uh, and of course... To everyone, remember, the real winner is our reading list. And the real loser, again, is Rivers of London, who I oh, believe has wow. lost four oh, times. I was trying to end on a positive. Did you just like <laughs> right through the robberator's heart? Wow. Oh. I didn't mean to. I, I'm i sorry. I That that came out wrong. I didn't mean to. No, to, the, uh, the question I forgot now that the robberator's is like thing. Are you going to pick Rivers of London in the future, Veronica? I think I should. I think I should. I think it's, it is, I think I have to now because that was kind of a dick thing to say. (laughs) Um, But yeah, this, as Tomahome says, uh, Rivers of London is the Susan Lucci of Sword and Laser at this point. Yeah. Um, Did she ever win? I think she did actually win eventually. Did she? So maybe, I don't, I think, I thought so. Maybe not. But regardless, we are well. I will pick Rivers of London. I've wanted to read it for a while, so I think it's only fair. I'm not sure when exactly. Maybe next. Who knows? Who's to say? Um, but I am excited about this. Uh, Armut it says, uh, "Yes, yeah, she did eventually win." So see, see, it is a happy ending like after all. Yay! Exactly. Um, yeah, super, super kudos, Rob, as always, for for organizing and putting all of this together. Um, this was a fun one, and Tom and I didn't even have to vote. 
No, it was very decisive. Did. There was one matchup that came perilously close, but even that one, I think, ended up. Uh, Rob said uh, the closest vote was by four, so that one that mm. one was within two. Might have even been within one at one point. Uh, oh my and gosh! Then by the end, it widened up to four. Stressful. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on. Um, Paul says regarding the 2021 Nebula Awards finalists, uh, here's a quote from the official website. Author Martha Wells graciously declined her nomination as a novella finalist this year for Fugitive Telemetry, Murderbot Diaries, book six, published by Tor.com. Uh, Wells felt that the Murderbot Diary series had already received incredible praise from her industry peers and wanted to open the floor to highlight other works within the community. That I think that's amazing. Is very nice of her. Um, I, so part of me, part of me thinks from the not Martha Wells side that you shouldn't let people do this because it's like, Hey, but if you're the best, you should still be the best. But from the Martha Wells side, totally can see the impulse and like nothing but praise for her to be like, yeah, man, I, I got my laurels. I got my flowers. Let me just move out of the way. Let somebody else in here. That's totally. Cool. Yeah. And there's, there's so many great books out there. So I, I think that's, that's awesome. And yeah, I mean, Murderbot is a, is a new classic, a modern classic, um, in the sci-fi world. So I am watching, I think it's, it's a Korean drama called law school because it's like the drama upon which, uh, uh, rise and fall of the century moon is based on, which is one of the dramas <laughs> that Murderbot <laughs> Wait, So you remember enough about this fictional I, no, Drama. I looked it up. I looked it up in the fandom wiki. Uh, I was like, okay, do we know what this is based on? And the wiki quoted Martha Wells saying, yeah, it's it's kind of uh, related to this show. And I was like, okay, well, I don't want to watch that show because it's too many episodes. But I was like, is there a K-drama like it? And then I found Law School. And I was like, yeah, this is pretty much based okay. on that. Yeah. I thought it was backwards that you were looking into law school and you saw on their wiki that Martha Wells had based her book on the show. I was like, wow, that's like a really big coincidence. (laughs) It makes more sense that you went the opposite way. No, I went went in search of it. Uh, Jan points out that Esquire has released their list of the best 50 fantasy novels of all time. Uh, including The City of Brass by S.A. Chakraborty, mm-hmm. uh, Moon Witch, Spider King by Marlon James, The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemisin. And they also uh, put out a list of the 50 best science fiction novels of all time, from The Echo Wife by Sarah Gailey uh, uh, to 1Q84 by Haruki Murakami, uh, Frankenstein by Mary Shelley at number one. Lots of sword and laser picks there. Uh, someone in the thread was like, well, they pretty clearly picked this to to just engender discussion and clicks. And I'm like, yes, that every one of these kinds of lists, if you didn't know this already, they're always picked with mm-hmm. that in mind. They, they're, they're not scientifically trying to be accurate as to what the best 50 is. It's meant to engender discussion. I honestly don't have a problem with that as long as they're decent lists and, and you can have a good discussion about them. Yeah, and also uh, click, click, clicks, uh, clicks to affiliate links. I which, think the uh, only of which I, there are more than fifty on this page. The only thing I don't like about the clicks is when they make you go through page by page to see all fifty, which Esquire didn't do. Oh, it's the worst. They, they. Have, no, yeah, I was trying to. Yeah, I was yeah. trying to remember the word for affiliate links, and so I just kept repeating clicks over and over. They have <laughs> and, all, 50 and it just on made it sound page. very. Yes. 
Yes, they do. So that is nice. It's not a slideshow, which is the the bane of everyone's existence on the internet. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as as Jan mentioned, fine. you don't, you don't. Um, oh, Foundryside is on there by Robert Jackson Bennett. That's awesome. That's one of my one of my recent favorites for sure. Lots of sword and laser books on here. A few um, few vaginal fantasy picks as well. Very cool. All right, moving on. We have another uh, Jan post. He says that the Romantic Novelist Association, the RNA, has announced the winners for the 2022 Romantic Novel Awards, speaking of vaginal fantasy, uh, and the awards include a category for, quote, Fantasy Romantic Novel Award, which this year Mm. goes to A Marvelous Light by Freya Marsk. Past winners uh, were Echoes of the Rune by Christina Courtney, uh, Queenie Malone's Paradise Hotel by Ruth Hogan, Living in the Past by Jane Lovering, The Other Us by Fiona Harper, and Max 17 by Kate Johnson. And you can check out all these books and more over at romanticnovellistassociation.org. <laughs> I wrote it like novel list. It's novelists. <laughs> Romantic novelists. Not a list of novels. Novelist. Yeah. Uh, do you know what you call it when someone brings a telegram from the Romantic Novelists Association? A telegram from the Novelists Association. Yeah. From the Romantic a... Novelists Association. It's messenger RNA. Oh. <gasps> Hey, Jan uh, has another one here from Locus Magazine. The SFWA, the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America, is changing its name to the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers Association. In a statement, the board of directors explains as the reason that a quarter of the 2,100 plus members we serve both live and work in non-U.S. countries and territories, and that SFWA will still be SFWA, but it'll more clearly be open to more creators of science fiction and fantasy, no matter what country they call home and what new dimensions and worlds they can imagine. Oh, that's, that's great. That's very inclusive. Yeah. Oh no. We have a, a yawn, a yawn, a yawnrology, yawn tet, a yawn tet. Oh, a yawn. What is what is four posts from Yan mean? Quayang, Quayang. So a quartet. So it's a quartet, right? If it's four things, so yeah, I guess Yantet. Yeah, yeah. Yantet. That works. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say though, right. I like SFWA right. doing this because it also reminds me of I've read plenty of books where they posit that NASA in the future starts to mean something else, not North American uh, or, or, or national administration or, or whatever. I'd never been North American. I don't, I don't know why I said that. Uh, but, but mm-hmm. people like play with acronyms like, Oh, it's still got the same acronym, but it means something else. Cause technology has moved or society has moved. So SFWA actually doing that in real life. That's pretty cool. <laughs> What's the show on Netflix that Steve Carell is on? Um, Space force. Space Force. <laughs> John Malkovich had a really fun. <laughs> I'm gonna ruin it because I can't remember it. <laughs> he made a joke about NASA because you know they have this thing where they're like at odds with each other on right. the show. If you can try to Google this really fast, um, it's a. It was like a, a different acronym for for NASA. It was like n- nerds, nerd. <sighs> oh gosh, I can't think it. What it was, 
It was so funny. I laughed so hard and now I can't find what it was. I can't remember what it was, but it, I'll, I'll think of it in like two years and it'll be a really funny joke on a future yeah. sword and, and laser. Somebody will, will, will tell it to us on TV, you know, in the comments, in the comments, in the comments. Yeah. yeah. But regardless, let's, let's move on to Jan's next post. Um, he says via Smithsonian magazine, uh, the Tolkien estate has added lots of new unpublished art by J.R.R. Tolkien to their recently launched website archive, creating a quote, lush painting of middle earth. The website includes manuscripts, letters, maps, art, and et cetera for the interested. Ooh, very nice. Yeah. That's pretty. I like that. Can Thank you buy you. them? Yeah. Can you buy prints and stuff? Yeah. You know, <gasps> not everything is for sale, Veronica. Some things can just be enjoyed. But yes, these are for on a, sale. On a website. <laughs> yes, all of these <laughs> are in fact for sale. Cool, 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 cool. I would guess, yeah. Neat, very cool. All right, well, thank you for uh, submitting. Thank you, Jan, for submitting Ooh. to the Quick Burns. Tomahome and also, Paul. It's a Jan home run, because there were four, if we had touch all the bases. Okay, like a Jan or a Grand Slam. Wouldn't that be a Grand Slam? Well, a Jan home run, uh, you know, a single, you go to one oh, okay. base, double, yeah. you go to two. A grand slam would be eight, four bases and four runs. I don't know. Um, no, a grand slam is when you make, get four runs. Runs. No, you I hit know, a home but run also, but, with the bases but loaded. When you touch a bases or, or runs, I was like, well, a grand slam could be eight because then it's four bases and four runs. No. What's five? No, I, did, I, I respectfully disagree. No, Somewhat I'm not saying it All is right. that. I'm just saying, I don't know what to yeah, come up with for the, you know, we need a standards organization to weigh in. Call ISO. We do. We do. We do. All right. Fair enough. Um, it's like nerds of substandard intelligence. It's like something like that. It's, uh, it starts with nerds. Nerds are, uh, dang it. Well, thank you to everyone who submitted to our Quick Burns this week. You can always do so over on Goodreads.com. Look for the thread about Quick Burns, or you can post over on our Discord. We have an entire little channel for Quick Burns uh, editions. So now it is time for Barrier Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. Tom, you want to kick things off? Yeah, Brian posted this in Quick Burns, but it's not news. However, (laughs) it is funny. Uh, Brian wrote vaguely fantasy of a sort related that seemed worth sharing from Twitter at Kane says the Lion King is about the brutal counter coup of a monarchy to restore primogeniture after it was deposed by a popular leader supported by oppressed minorities forced to live in the elephant graveyard ghetto. If you supported Simba and thought Scar was a villain, you are a pawn of royalist propaganda and Lee's majeste. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I would like to read the comments on that Twitter thread. Yeah, I'm going to have to click through and find that discussion thread. That Uh, sounds pretty funny. One time when my niece was three years old, we were uh, watching, I don't know if we were watching a clip from The Lion King or just listening to The Lion King, but she turned to me and said, I like Scar. He's not bad. Well, is it just me or is Scar kind of hot? Hmm. I mean, is it because he's scars Jer- Jeremy Irons, right? Mm-hmm. So there's I think that. so. And also a bad, yeah. you know, a bad person. Got the bad person. Bad attraction. boy. Yeah. 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 Totally. That's what Trike was saying in the chat. Yeah, he's got that bad boy kind of vibe going. I don't like the whole killing children lion cub thing, though. It's pretty. Oh, 
Uh, Armut has a has a good comment. I wonder why they what they called Scar before he got the scar. <laughs> like, is his name like Jerry? Yeah, was he named Scar and didn't have a scar, and then he got the scar, and people are like, "Wow, that's weird." Or was he named like Steve? Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, like Steve the Lion. Mm-hmm. Or was he or named like, like Lionel? Like Mascar. Uh. But you wouldn't know that he was going to have a scar. Like you well, can't then, just fit scar into no, his they, name because he had a name unrelated, the lack of a scar. But it had scar in it. And then when he got the scar, they shortened it. Yeah, I don't know. I think they would just be like, oh, you have a scar now. We're going to call you scar. Well, sure. But I'm just saying. Or maybe he got the scar before. Maybe they have some kind of like, like, um, thing where they don't get their name until they're older and so he got the scar when he was young mm. young enough that they were able to give him like his adult name i think his name was carl okay okay you just stole that from the chat i saw that actually i, I adapted tamahome who who wrote rascarl yeah yeah rascarl okay uh, speaking of Trike, um, Trike has a dissertation on the linguistic history of crow and rooster available in the Goodreads thread for the last episode. It's pretty well done, uh, but here's the conclusion. So all of that is to say that roosters crow and crows caw, but it derives from the same source. We've just put a little spin on each, or as they say in billiards, we put some English on it. I've been doing this for five hours. I'm going back to bed for a nap. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I went through I went through the rabbit hole on that one. I went pretty deep on why roosters crow and whatever it is crows do, cawing and how like all the different languages have like different versions of that sound. It's very interesting. Yeah, and and good good work. Uh that that was a robust uh dissertation in there. So we'll have a link in the show notes if you want to read the whole thing. It's worth it's worth a read. Go 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 check it out. Also Proseca says that Disney mm-hmm. fandom claims that scar was once named Taka, meaning waste or want in Swahili. Oh, that's kind of sad. Yeah, this is, again, why he was maybe not actually the villain. He was obviously, like, kind of left behind in the family hierarchy and was feeling, you know, he was lonely. Yeah, it's a metaphor for post-World War I Germany. Hmm. Hmm. So who's Franz Ferdinand in this case? Uh, well, good question. It's, it's um, <laughs> I was thinking about post World War One, not pre World War. Well, Franz Ferdinand's the not pre. Oh, post. This is post. Okay, post. This is peace Did you say Versailles. post? I'm Treaty sorry. Of Versailles. More, okay. Yeah. It's Pumba. Pumba's Franz Ferdinand. Mm-hmm. Probably Pumba. Mm-hmm. Most likely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we have a um, we have a a pretty big book to wrap up here. Uh, I'm not sure how we're going to do it. Um, do you, do you want to first talk about the kickoff for a master of gin? And then we'll kind of like navigate the world of the Commonwealth for, for a, uh, indeterminate, 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 um, not yeah, Time, an amount of time. Uh, next episode, we will kick off a master of gin by P jelly Clark. Cool, cool, cool. So that was that was the uh, the kickoff. Okay, got it. <laughs> Have, haven't written up that uh, that book. Actually, the know, uh, the book briefing is, thing is available do. on Patreon. Briefing. Uh, if you're a patron at the all but the bottom level, uh, you've got the book mm-hmm. briefing already. 
And uh, and next, I, I figure we have so much to, to talk about with Pandora's Star that we should just dig right into it. Uh, and we can we can get to Master of Jin next time. Sounds good. Oh, excuse me. I'm, I'm not. Sorry you're not I'm boring, boring me. I promise. Yeah. I'm sorry. I saw that coming from a mile away. Um, let's first jump into a thread uh, to kick things off from Aubrey, who said, um, I'm about 70% of the way through the book, and I just finished chapter 18. The way everything is coming together and taking shape is really incredible. I agree with other comments that the first 20% or so is a bit of a slog, but oh goodness, I think it's worth it. I'm usually an epic fantasy reader, so finding a similar pacing and style with various character POV in a sci-fi novel has been a lot of fun for me. I really just want to put this out there to chat more about the positive aspects of the book and critique it with others who are enjoying it and stuck with it. Yeah, you know, I have to say, um, this, of course, is a spoilery conversation. So if you haven't finished it, yeah. Yeah, put the spoiler warning out right now. Uh, We may not spoil it in the very next breath, but we're going to get spoilery. So if you don't want to be spoiled on Pandora's Star, you may want to pause now. Okay. The book ends with Ozzy falling off a giant waterfall. That's the cliffhanger. That's the cliffhanger. That was the thing that I was so mad about. Yeah. That just, is also the ended. thing that made both of us read Judas Unchained, which is yes, longer I mean, than Pandora Star. I just wanted to feel find longer. out what to Ozzy. I know. I was really mad. And, you know, they, they left the whole invasion. All right. This is I'm getting ahead of myself here. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yes, I agree um, that there was. A, a bit of a slow start for this novel, but even while I was reading it and I agree with other commenters out there who were like, what is the whole, like, um, the whole storyline with the rich girl who is like hang gliding into the forest and like has sex with a, a random dude, like that she meets that lives there and they wear kilts. And what's that all about? And I have to say that even though I had a lot of those questions as these kind of like different, seemingly random storylines kicked off during during my uh, early reading of the book, I always had the sense that they were going to come together in a really cool way. And so I never got like worried or like stressed out about the kind of divergence of 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 like this, you know, storyline that I felt was happening maybe in that, that early 20 percent. Um because I could tell that this was just the beginning of like a really strong world building and a really strong story that was going to net together at the end. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know if you agree, if you felt that the beginning was, was slow to you as well, or, or how did you feel the pacing was throughout the book? This is a story to wander around in. It is, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I, I've described like one Q eight, four. I was like, it was like a taking a bath. You're just enjoying mm-hmm. the descriptions. Uh, this one's not to me so much about the descriptions as it is. Here's an ama- amazing world setting. Uh, and we're going to wander some characters through it. Pay attention though, because what those characters do will be important later, even if it doesn't seem important right, right now. And by later, sometimes I mean Judas Unchained. Sometimes I mean very much <laughs> later. <laughs> yeah. I feel like these really um, are just one book that the publisher yeah, was decided like, this to is break up in, into two. Uh, but but those worlds are fascinating. And, the, and that's my thing is like, if you just want great world building, Pandora's Star, uh, you're going to get a good story. Uh, you're going to get decent characterization with varying effects depending on the character. Uh, but you're going to you're going to love the world. I'll be honest mm-hmm. for me. 
Ozzy was the only story I really cared about once he was off really? wandering the paths. I was I was interested in the world uh of of the uh of the Morning Light Mountain. I was interested mm-hmm. in how he how it worked. The war didn't really captivate me as much as the as the Aussie story did. I was like, ooh, this is a mystery. I want to find out. What is he gonna find? Where is he gonna go? That was the that was the most compelling story. But every world that he built, I was interested in. And that that certainly kept me going because I'm like, all right, so but how does this work? And where do they go? And why are they here? And why are they on this particular world? And he has like dozens of worlds in in these two books. Most and I think yeah. you meet all of the worlds in the first book anyway. That's so interesting you say that because I feel to me like I had the least amount of connection with the worlds. Like mm-hmm. I felt like the worlds were, <sighs> I like to hear about them, but I never felt attached to any of them in any specific kind of way. Yeah. I think the, huh, that's that's an interesting perspective. Um, says I want to marry Paula Mayo and I get that Paula Mayo is a compelling character for sure. Oh, I would not want to marry Paula. Like I, I, She's, she's certainly I found her absolutely fascinating. Character. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I love her as a character, and I was super fascinated by her story and her background. And you know, coming from a world where your your job essentially all of your interest in life is is predetermined by your genetics. Like I, I found that fascinating. I and like of, she is the best detective because that is what she is meant to do. Mm-hmm. What's up? I I I wasn't that captivated with the mystery she was solving in the early part. Mm-hmm. I got more captivated when it became who is the star flyer. I was like, okay, let's find out. I was, I, I don't want to say disappointed because that's too harsh. Uh, that's not how I felt, but I was like, oh, it's morning light mountain. Okay. Like that, that seemed like I would have liked an even more surprising answer, but it was fine. It was fine. Uh, so, so yeah, I did, I did like her. I was fascinated with her. And when she was trying to figure out who the Starflyer was, that was a pretty captivating storyline as well. Right. Yeah. Her coming, I think a number of characters kind of coming to terms with the fact, and I have to be careful because I am a quarter of the way through Judas Unchained, the second book. So I have to be careful about where one story ends and one story begins. Um, but yeah, the, the kind of like unravel or the discovery, the slow discovery that came from this thing that was previously a myth or previously mm-hmm. conspiracy theory and now is, is you know, revealing itself to be potentially true, um, especially when someone like Paula Mayo kind of gets on the case and is, you know, starting to distrust people within the Commonwealth government. Um, that, that was super, super cool. And um, also... Going back to an earlier discussion when we were talking about characters that felt like one-offs who later turn out to be super important, I think Dudley Bowes is the the biggest example of that. Like he's in one of the earliest chapters, and it feels just like a a, a setting, like a, a an example of setting. Like there's this Dyson pair, and and here's this you know kind of random astronomer who discovers this phenomena, and. He doesn't, I don't really feel like he's meant to come back. He felt like kind of like, oh, you know how in the beginning of a lot of shows, there's like a one character who sees the thing and then like kicks off like whatever the storyline, but they're not really part of the story. But I feel like it's kind of like a, a trope almost. I felt like that was him, but then he comes back in, in such a major way and is like a pivotal character. Um, 
and is like, you know, kind of unlikable in many ways, but you feel for him. You feel for the situation he's been put in or, you know, rather puts himself in. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It was, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I mean, I'm obviously still reading it, so I, I would hope I would enjoy it. I'm, I'm not just reading it to find out what happened to Ozzy. Um, and honestly, there hasn't been a lot of ground there <laughs> in the second book so far. Um, oh, you'll but, get there. You'll get there. Well, I'm sure I will. I yeah. finished Judas. But Unchained. you know, I oh, you did. You force, finished it already. Force marched myself through it. I, I listened at 3.5 X at certain sections. Right. Trek says the guy at the beginning of every Law & Order episode who finds the body gets his own space adventure. <laughs> totally. Yeah, <laughs> That's oh, a oh, really getting, good get, way of describing Dudley Bowes. Getting that back to, to, to that aspect, when they first brought him on, I thought, oh, okay, this is going to be one of our main characters, right? Because he's so pivotal. Mm. Then it became clear, mm. oh, no, he's the Law & Order guy, <laughs> like you say. Okay, yeah. fine. And then he comes and, back. And then, he, yeah, later you're like, oh, I guess he's going on the spaceship with him. Okay, cool. Oh, and, my God. Yeah. That was kind of my favorite, one of my favorite things, how he like kind of just forces himself by, by being like a minor celebrity and like just putting him out there and being like, of course, like, why wouldn't they bring me? I'm the guy. I'm the guy who discovered it. Like, I'm a natural fit. And everybody's like, oh, do we have to invite Dudley? Do we have to bring him on? PR said we have to. We mm-hmm. have to. Mm, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be a bad look if we don't. <laughs> so I thought that that really that cracked me up a lot. Yeah. What else? What else did you enjoy? Not enjoy? There's yeah. so much ground to cover. Like I don't even know where to well, start. We have, we have other other uh, things in here. I didn't know if you wanted to include those first before we. Yeah. 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 Sum up. Um, this was. I can. I can read this one um, from Harry. So there. There was some conversation around like the weird kind of way that this society, the Commonwealth handles, uh, you know, some, some maybe outdated perspectives on sexuality. And I kind of tried to think about it like, oh, you know, with, um, with, uh, rejuvenation, it's kind of like people just have less inhibitions about sexuality. Right. You were mentioning that on the last episode. Yeah. But I thought Harry put it together kind of interestingly. He said, since I chimed in earlier on the, quote, ick factor, let me give it another try. I'm more than halfway now. Yeah, I get it. Future society, sexual liberation, near immortality, releases old boundaries. Okay. It's not so much the presence of such stuff. It's ubiquitous in many genres. Although, yeah, some of the age differences are a bit skeevy. But it's not so much that as Hamilton's writing and the attitude it projects intentionally or not. I feel like he's leering every time he presents sexual content. Take this random passage description of a woman from page 395. She had a very short leather skirt and a white blouse with a low-cut front showing off a huge cleavage. I mean, can't you just hear that last phrase spoken in a Homer Simpson voice in the same tone that Homer describes donuts? I mean, cleavage. <laughs> um, I'd expect that from some 50s Jim Thompson paperback junk spy novel or such, but it feels out of place here. There's just something about his way of writing. Look, it's not a big deal, I think. Even I question my own take on it. I'm enjoying the book, the world building, and so on, Harry says. Yeah, no, I think I, I think Harry's on onto something because yeah. uh, I, I, it's almost unfair to say of a woman because it depends on which character you're talking about. There are characters mm-hmm. uh, in this book who dress that way on purpose, 
with you know right like melanie yeah melanie Melanie has if this is a description of melanie it's like well that's different than if this is a description of somebody new we're meeting for the first time and this is you know uh but that said that is a male gaze written sentence there is a way to rewrite that sentence to deliver exactly the same impression and information that won't hit harry b that way uh so i think he's right that it's not a big deal uh, you can still enjoy the book, uh, but it's worth pointing at and going, mm, you know, let's let's pay attention to this. Yeah, I I am definitely more aware of it, I think, after we discussed it uh, the first time, which makes sense. Um, but it it did not bother me as a as a as a female reader, I guess, mm-hmm. okay. um, and someone who typically does have a lot of, you know, is a high level of awareness about the, these kinds of conversations. But yeah, it's it's there. It's kind of hard to hard to discount sometimes. But I agree with you. Melanie is that's part of her character for better or for worse. That's just, you know, it's how she gets what she wants. She uses it when she wants to. Sometimes she doesn't. She does try to take herself more seriously later in the book and and dress accordingly. Um, so, you know, character growth there for sure. Yeah, I was thinking about this when I was listening to Judas Unchained, too, because I was trying Mm -hmm. to be like Harry B to be like, okay, you know, what is it, though? Because it's not like it's not like, oh, this is a horrible, you know, example uh, or anything. It's the lack of other perspectives. Right. Mm -hmm. It's it's what's not around it to to balance it out. We do get Uh, an actual sex scene in Judas Unchained. That was mm -hmm. the the, I don't think that happened in uh, Pandora Star. Mm hmm. Uh, like Shama, a, like Sh- a descri- described, like yeah, pretty sexy. Sorry, go ahead. Shabanad on Discord said, the way I've been explaining it to myself is it's like eating homemade chocolate chip walnut cookies. Only the home chef cracked their own walnuts and some of the shells got in the cookies. So if you can eat around the bits of shell, the cookie itself is delicious. I love the detective <laughs> elements, the espionage elements, and quite a lot of the alien elements. And I'm intrigued by his exploration of what effect regeneration capability would have on a society. I'm not sure his understanding of sociology and human communities is strong enough to make it a believable picture, but there's hmm. definitely some good questions and ideas in there. Hmm. I I wish I could dig into that more. I want to like go into that Discord thread and like kind mm-hmm. of probe a little bit more to understand what Shamanad found as like kind of sticking points there or like questionable concepts of or or understanding of sociology and and kind of like society building. I get the sense too that Shamanad was not trying to damn with faint praise. Uh, mm-hmm. I, th- I, if I can, if I can expand, uh, and, and I'm speaking for myself, not Shamanab, but I would say the understanding of sociology and human communities is enough to make nice variable, uh, societies with, with the interesting questions and ideas. But if there was more understanding, maybe they would have been deeper and even, even, even more satisfying than they were as yeah. they were, they're sort of like, they're not wrong. It's not make, doesn't make the novel bad. It's well, we're going to, we're going to have, you know, it, it's like when you go to Star Trek and it's like, well, here's the Nazi planet and here's the fish planet. And <laughs> yeah. It's like, they're not really <laughs> believable. They're not deep, but they're useful for what they do. And I think that's true in Pandora star. They're, these, these societies are useful for showing like, okay, here's a libertarian planet and here's a, a, a backwoods planet. The kind of hippie commune. Yeah, planet, or, they're yeah. deeper than the Star Trek examples I give by far. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that's what Shaman might be picking up on is like, Ooh, they're, 
so they're close enough that it wouldn't have been cool if they would have been like deep sociological examples of what really happens when this kind of society is is attempted, um, which is, well, you know, raising the bar. It's a tough call. Yeah. It's hard, I think, because if you do, if you do like really push the boundaries of like, like what really would a true libertarian planet look like? Mm-hmm. What would a true hippie commune planet look like? Because like the the planet that Ranstown is on, for example, like kind of has that vibe. They have, have like an almost shamanistic like leader, like a, a very um um suave kind of uh what's the word I'm looking for? Um charismatic. Charismatic, charismatic leader. Um and but you know, but I, I think that it's more realistic to say these planets were founded with an ideal. And then because people are people and they have like certain needs and certain requirements, they kind of start blanding out a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of start like earthifying themselves a little bit and has still having some of the same problems and some of the same issues and some of the same like every planet's going to have a suburb. Every planet has to have like for the most part an industrial area or some kind of area of commerce. So they're, I mean, with the exception of like the, the, the galactic dynasties who have like their own home worlds that are like really just specifically for them having their lush gardens, their lush, like their mansions and, and play places. Um, but like some planets just try to bring other things in from other worlds. But for the most part, they want to like have some amount of sustainability um, in case the the wormholes get cut off, for example. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so they start to they start to kind of in some ways feel similar. And I just that feels more realistic to me than saying they would stand very apart. It's not even just that they would be apart. It's that there would be more complex elements of them and, and, and not everything would work the way it's presented here. Maybe, Mm. uh, almost like maybe it's a shallow presentation of, of this type of society. But on the other hand, if you go deep on any one of these planets, you've got an entire novel and this novel's already long. Mm -hmm. So in some ways it's like, (laughs) you know what, we just have to have shorthand and go, this is the libertarian planet. Okay. Mm-hmm. We, could, we could go deeper, but do you really need that? Because we got other things to do. And and some, sometimes that's fine as a device. Yeah. Um, it's just to me, it's like, OK, we still have like one ruling government. We we now have this this Navy, the Commonwealth Navy or Galactic Navy or whatever they're calling it. Um, so even though these planets are self-sufficient in some ways and have their own governors or their own leaderships or what what have you they still feel a little homogenous because they're for the most part, all human. They're all the they're, same culture. Yeah. They're all, yeah. They, they have the same ruling bodies. They have the same travel systems that connect them. Ultimately, they're not that far apart in terms of travel time. Ooh, um, I just thought of something. What's that? If you in the 1600s wrote mm-hmm. a science fiction novel about, a country uh, like the United States, and you were like, "We've got uh, we've got the industrial states, and then we've got the, the agricultural states, and then we've got the plantation states, and we have the rugged states." People would be like, "Oh, come on, they're going to be more different than that." But and what made me think about it, what you were describing is like, well, they all came from Earth, and they still have this federal government above them that they all participate in. I'm like, yeah, it's like 
Los Angeles, I mean, it's different than New York City, but it's not that different. It's, you know, right. it's not like the difference, you know, between Baghdad and Paris in the 1400s would have been quite a bit different. So, well, I mean, yeah, I guess, but even far away, like even thinking about far away and, and their experience of being like literally the, the last stop yeah. on the, on the, on the CST effectively, like Casimir, like he still understands a lot about the other worlds well he he becomes more educated later on um but he's still they still speak the same language <laughs> they still understand like the unisphere and like things like that they still understand you know even though they don't necessarily take part it's it's still even closer in connection than what you were talking about between Paris and Baghdad in the right. 1600s or what have you well I'm saying yeah. Paris and Baghdad dead in the 1600s different culture different religion different language hard mm -hmm. to understand each other. Uh, yeah. Los Angeles and New York in the 20, 21st century, same language, same culture. Yeah. Eh, so you're right. Yeah. Some differences, but you were getting more similar now mm -hmm. extrapolate that to Pandora star. It's like, these are even, they're even farther away, but they're going to be even more similar. Right. So that's, yeah. that's the, that's yeah. the, um, the gradient that I'm, I'm proposing is that, yeah, the, the weirdness, the yeah, difference between these would be even less than the differences we have within the United States right now. Totally, totally. Gosh, we haven't even gotten into like the primes and morning light mountain and all that stuff. And like Wilson Kime and going into the, oh my gosh, well, there's a the whole alien, other book in here. The, uh, the primes, uh, and, 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 and that almost got short shrift where it was like, mm -hmm. so let's catch you up. <laughs> Here's the history of the primes. <laughs> I was like, whoa, now we're moving. This is fascinating. This is good stuff. Right. And uh, I will give uh, Peter F. Hamilton full marks for not having the alien just be, you know, another bipedal species that's like, oh, we're just like humans, but we have ridges on our nose. Like it's an entirely different evolution. The the time he would have taken to make the the planets uh be richer. Uh, for, mm -hmm, for humans, mm -hmm. he put it into, to the primes, uh, because that is like a real, like thought out evolutionary process from beginning to end that ends up with an entirely alien mentality, entirely alien yeah. way of living. I was like, wow, that's genius. That was really good. And it's so different that we don't really even begin to understand what's going on with morning light mountain until, you know, the, the Dudley Bowes kind of like merging of, of awareness, yeah. um, into, into the prime headspace. Um, but I have to say probably my favorite, the most exciting interaction for me in the whole book was the conversation between morning light mountain and the SI. Mm -hmm. I thought that was like the coolest, like, oh my gosh, like, all right, the SI broke through the SI is having a conversation with morning light mountain and even the SI is like, I got nothing. <laughs> like this guy's just like maybe different, <laughs> but I'm still from humans. So yeah. Yeah. This yeah. Thing, yeah. This uh, thing is totally out there. Totally like it alien. doesn't, it has just completely different, like it cannot be reasoned with because it just has completely different objectives and needs and desires. It has there. a different reason. And I think that was so fascinating yeah. is I understood 
like chillingly understood Morning Light Mountain's perspective, which is like, no, no, no. Uh, anything is a threat to me. Uh, I am all the people. I am all the motiles. Uh, I am not an I. I am we. We are me. And you need to be me or go away. Like, like you know, yeah. from where you sit, that makes sense. I get it. Yeah. 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 So that's that's a, a fascinating kind of experience. And yeah, Melanie, Melanie kind of working with the SI or the SI working through Melanie um, over in Randstown was like a super, super great scene. Super interesting. Um, yeah. As you said, that, that's really when, I mean, things picked up like when the the ship got to got to the Dyson pair. And then things like really took off, I think, during the the battle for the 23. Um, and that's kind of where things left off. That was that's kind of like. That's where where we end is poor Ozzy falling off the side of a waterfall <laughs> on his totally other storyline <laughs> where he goes wandering through the fairy forest and talks with elves that don't make sense and ends up on some kind of frozen world in some kind of like Noah's Ark of lost aliens who are just surviving and wandering through the the forest paths. Yes, with Tochi, the alien, as Tamahome says. Oh, and Tochi was another really good alien. Tochi was great. Yeah. Amazing. And I, I love super great alien. Uh not a spoiler for Judas Unchained, but I love that we we will continue to learn about Tochi's species. I mm-hmm. love that. Yeah, another another species that is just completely different from humanoids and thinks of things in a in a totally different way. So yeah. I think that's, you know, we've we've we can continue the conversation over on Goodreads and and over the in Discord. the in the Discord. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I liked it. I did. I did really like it. I thought the world building was great. I, I'm listening to the audiobooks. Um, I read the book the first time and now I'm listening to the second book. Um, in many ways, it does remind me. Did I already talk about that? About how this kind of reminds me of the other book that we read. Um, Alistair Reynolds. The other one with the detective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And it does have the same narrator. But yes, the prefect. Thank you. <laughs> I love live chat. Oh, God. It's like my. It's like my internet brain in person form being able to, you know, hive mind. It's like, yeah, I know you're the SI. I know you guys are all, or, or you're, or I'm morning light mountain and you're all my motiles and you're all just Mm. pulling in information for me from, from all over the Unisphere. Thank you. (laughs) And I think that wraps up our episode. Thank you so much for everyone who is watching. Um, Our show is currently entirely funded by you, our patrons. Thank you so much to all the folks who back us. If you want to help support us, you can head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. You can also support the show by buying books through our links. Uh, We have links to Amazon and bookshop.org. And you can find a lot of the books we talk about and some of our favorites at swordandlaser.com slash picks. Send us an email, feedback at swordandlaser.com. We are on Instagram and Twitter at swordandlaser. And you can join in on all the discussions at goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Goodbye.
This podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there. 